I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. The subject of today's podcast has been requested by a couple of different listeners. One was Lockbreet, who wrote back in March. And another is Christopher, who wrote in after promotions for the movie Suffragette raised some controversy about the film's treatment of race. And I want to be very clear, I have not seen seen Suffragette. I cannot personally comment on how the film treated race. But the thing that people were criticizing stemmed from the fact that basically everybody in the movie is white, which is simultaneously woefully inaccurate and sadly true. It Number one, people of color, particularly women of color, were definitely part of the suffrage movement in the United Kingdom. But at the same time, that same movement, a lot of times, was focused on the needs of white women, sometimes specifically to the exclusion of everyone else. And that is true also in the United States suffrage movement. It's not something that was unique to Britain. So that brings us to today's subject, Sophia Duleep Singh. She was an Indian princess whose father was the last Maharaja of the Sikh Empire in what's now India and Pakistan. Queen Victoria was her godmother. I've learned Queen Victoria had quite a lot of godchildren. Oh, Vicky. (laughs) Sophia was one of so many. Uh, So she became a very vocal pres, a very vocal presence in the women's suffrage movement in Britain. 
And Princess Sophia's background and her upbringing had a really huge influence on how she came to be part of the movement and just generally how her life played out. And her story doesn't make a whole lot of sense without knowing a bit about her father and her grandfather. So we're going to tell her story in two parts. Today is the sad royal childhood installment of this two-parter. If you have missed past hosts' focus on sad royal childhoods, that's what we're going to talk about today. Part two is going to talk about her adult life and how she started working to help women in Britain get the right to vote. Sophia Dilip Singh's grandfather, Ranjit Singh, founded the Sikh Empire at the turn of the 19th century. He took the city of Lahore in 1799 and then was named the Maharaja in 1801. Throughout the 19th century, Ranjit Singh annexed and conquered territories that neighbored his own. He was backed by an army that was made of Sikh, Muslim, and Hindu soldiers. A lot of his conquering and annexing, by all the accounts that I found, seems to have been pretty welcomed because the rulers that he ousted were often very corrupt. And also banding together the neighboring kingdoms made the region as a whole safer and more stable. Added to this was the fact that he showed respect and tolerance for the various religious beliefs and practices that existed within the region, rather than forcing everyone to convert to the Maharaja's religion, which, as we said, was Sikhism. He even made a point of marrying Hindu, Sikh, and Muslim wives. Apart from all this expansion of territory, one of the other acquisitions during this time was the Kohinoor diamond. There's a whole podcast about it in the archive. And he wore this gem on a piece of jewelry on his arm, defying the popular belief that this uh, stone was, in fact, cursed. By the time of Ranjit Singh's death in 1839, the Sikh empire was very large and very wealthy. But without him around to lead this empire, the leaders of the various factions that he had united started to work against each other again. And it really didn't help that one after another, his successors were all assassinated. None of them managed to hold on to their reign for more than a couple of years. The heir to maintain control of the empire for the longest period after Ranjit Singh's death was his youngest son, Duleep Singh. He was Sophia Duleep Singh's father. Duleep's mother, Maharani Jindkar, was known as Jindan. She was one of his father's more recent wives at the time of his death. She had refused to participate in the ritual of Sati, in which Ranjit's other wives burned themselves to death on his funeral pyre. She said that she was more dedicated to Duleep than his than to his late father. That dedication became extremely evident when Duleep Singh became the next person in line of succession in 1843. His mother acted as his regent, and her political savvy protected the young Maharaja. For several years, she was able to keep him relatively unharmed, even as others around him were assassinated in ongoing power grabs. That changed with the first Anglo-Sikh War, which was fought between the Sikh Empire and the British East India Company and its allies. The British East India Company took over what remained of the Sikh Empire in 1849. Claiming to be acting on the young Maharaja's behalf, it presented him with a treaty that outlined, among other things, terms for, quote, protecting him until he was 16. In the meantime, his mother would still act as regent. Side note, also included in this treaty was surrendering the Koinor Diamond to the Queen of England. And this British protection was unfortunately not to be. The British East India Company slowly infiltrated Lahore with its own troops. 
It banished Dulip's mother, who had become vocal about their distrust of them when Dulip was nine years old. At the age of 11, Dulip himself was exiled. He was sent to one of India's northwestern provinces, away from his supporters, and given to a Scottish family to tutor. Eventually, he converted from Sikhism to Christianity. At the age of 15, Dulip Singh asked if he could visit England to see the Queen, and Queen Victoria, who had been intensely curious about the boy, enthusiastically agreed. And once he was in England, Dulip Singh became one of Queen Victoria's favorites. The India office, which oversaw Britain's rule of the Indian provinces, granted him an income which was pittance in comparison to the wealth of the Sikh empire, but made him richer than a lot of British nobility. But even though he had lots of money and he was clearly doted on by the queen, he was still Indian and therefore still viewed as inferior by much of the British aristocracy. As Dulip got older, he started very publicly and very enthusiastically carousing around with Prince Albert, then known as Bertie, who would later become King Edward VII. Naturally, this public carousing became quite embarrassing to the monarch, so she started trying to find a good match for him hoping that if Dulip Singh got married, he would settle down. She had to do this while also trying to keep him in the dark about the realities of British colonial rule in India, which we have other things on in the archive, to be very, very generously brief. It was not great. Yeah. And when Queen Victoria's husband Albert died on December 14th of 1861, uh, as is fairly common knowledge... Victoria lost interest in a lot of things, and that included Dulip and his family's situation. Two years later, while the queen was still deeply in mourning, Dulip's mother also died at the age of 45. It was only after making his last trip to India to take his mother's body home and have it cremated according to Sikh traditions that he realized that his life in England was likely to be extremely lonely upon his return. So, with the queen still otherwise occupied, he took the matter of his marriage into his own hands. On the way back to England, he stopped in Cairo. He married the beautiful and pious Bamba Mueller. This was the illegitimate daughter of a German merchant and an enslaved woman from Abyssinia, which today is mostly Ethiopia. Dulip wrote to Bamba's father to ask him to grant her legitimacy so that the whole thing would not be quite so shocking to the queen. Then he married her after knowing her for about four months. Fortunately, once the queen actually met her, she liked her as well. The couple moved to Elvedon Estate in Suffolk, which Dulip spent lots of time and money remodeling. He blended British and Indian influences into this project, and he added a huge menagerie to the grounds, full of animals that were, to the British landscape, quite exotic, including leopards, cheetahs, monkeys, and parrots. This was, as you can imagine, quite lavish. This remodeling project went on for 13 years, which also saw the births of all of Sophia's older siblings. Just as the remodel was complete, it also saw the birth of Sophia herself. We will talk about her early life after a brief word from one of our sponsors. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from 
the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now we go back to our story. Sophia Duleep Singh was born on August 8th, 1876. In addition to being the youngest, uh, of the, the youngest of the Duleep Singh children at the time, there was a several year gap between her and her brothers and sisters who had all been born within one or two year increments of one another. So as the baby, she was doted on. 
Not long after her birth, though, things uh, sort of started to go south at home. Although her father had a sizable income from the India office, he was outspending it, and significantly so. He also had something of a gambling problem. Plus, he just felt like he was royalty, so he should be able to do what he wanted, even though he didn't really have an empire anymore. In spite of the fact that everyone was trying to keep him in the dark about it, he also started learning more about British activities in his former home, as well as about how his mother had been treated by the British, which was not well. He became increasingly defiant, and when the Queen's bankers started insisting that he rein in his spending, he responded by spending even more. It took the Queen herself sending him a letter directly before he begrudgingly approached his life with any sort of adherence to a budget. In August of 1879, Sophia's little brother, Albert Edward Duleep Singh, was born, making Sophia one of six siblings to survive their infancy. Because they were so much younger than the older four children, Sophia and the baby, who was known as Eddie, were particularly close. After Eddie's birth, things continued to get worse around the Duleep Singh home. Duleep himself had been having affairs throughout his marriage, and these became increasingly serious and increasingly public. He had a number of illegitimate children, and some of the older ones he gave jobs at the Elvedon estate. This behavior became increasingly upsetting to his wife, and a huge rift started to develop in the couple's marriage. Finally, the British government made it clear that it would no longer tolerate Duleep's excesses. It offered him a one-time payment that would allow him to settle all his debts, and in exchange, it would take control of the estate at Elvedon upon his death. This meant that Duleep would basically be broke, but not in debt, and would have no property to leave his children. In desperation, he wrote to the Queen directly, and in her reply, she suggested that she might be able to help his children after he was gone, but that when it came to his own finances, she basically reminded him that he had been warned. In her words, quote, as I once or twice mentioned to you before, I think you were thought extravagant, and that may have led to a want of confidence as regards to the future. Oh, you have to admire her turn of phrase. Yeah, I was just thinking, I, I'm glad I never ran afoul of Queen Victoria needing to tell me, and I told you so. Because this is simultaneously so deft and so putting him down. But so incredibly polite. Uh, uh, in retaliation for what he perceived as having been taken advantage of, after all, as you recall, the Sikh Empire was worth far more than the British government had ever given him. Duleep teamed up with Army Major Evans Bell to write a tell-all book about the British annexation of his empire. And there really was quite a bit to tell. However, the book was really a rush job. It was sloppy and it was full of errors. So, frankly, it just did not uh, meet its audience being taken seriously at all. It definitely was not what Duleep had hoped it would be. He wanted it to be an injury to the crown and a rallying cry for fairer treatment of India and of himself and his family. Soon he was increasingly publicly speaking out against Britain. But given his reputation by this point and his demeanor in doing so, people once again did not take him very seriously. Eventually, it came to the point where he started auctioning off his belongings. He was shopping for hot weather clothes for his family and planning to take them back to India. He wrote to the queen and informed her that he would be converting back to Sikhism once they arrived there. This was really the last thing he felt like he could genuinely threaten Queen Victoria with. She was very devout, and one of the reasons his presence at court had been so acceptable to her was that he was a Christian. 
The Duleep Singh family made it to the Gulf of Aden, but couldn't get cleared to go through the, the Suez Canal, which would, they were going to need to do to continue the rest of the way to India. Finally, after something of a stalemate, Duleep put his family on a ship and sent them back to England without him. Duleep Singh stayed behind, and on May 25th, 1886, he was rebaptized as a Sikh. When the weather in Aden didn't agree with him, he got permission from the British to go anywhere he wished, except India. The government was afraid that his presence there would rile up anti-colonial sentiment. And so instead, he went to France, and he tried to rile up that sentiment there. Meanwhile, Bamba and the children returned to England, where they had no home and no income, and wound up being entirely dependent on Queen Victoria, who had them housed at first in a hotel. Not long after, Duleep Singh posted a public notice that he relinquished all responsibility for his family and their well-being and their debts. He instead started focusing on raising money and manpower to try to retake his kingdom from Britain. Queen Victoria was godmother to two of Duleep's children, both Sophia and her brother Victor, and she felt a moral responsibility to look after the whole family. So the India office granted Maharini Bamba an income, although it was, of course, much smaller than Duleep's had been. The two oldest children, both sons, were both put into school, and the eldest, Victor, was put into a military academy. They were hoping to curtail the habits of gambling and excess that he had picked up from his father. Victor was expected to enter the British Army as an officer, which normally was not allowed for foreign princes, but the fact that he was the Queen's godson allowed for the exception. At this point, Sophia was 11. Her mother had fallen into a deep depression, and their nanny, who had looked after them for much of their earliest years, had taken another post in the face of the Maharini's behavior. And this left Sophia and her younger brother mostly unsupervised. To try to give the household and the younger children some semblance of stability and order, a man named Arthur Oliphant was put in charge of them. He wasn't just appointed their head of household, though. He was also supposed to keep tabs on them and report back to the queen. He moved them to his home in Kent and started trying to encourage them into a more refined upbringing. Once she had instructors in both academics and deportment, Sophia did indeed progress very rapidly. She was really smart, and she had a gift for music, and she began to behave in a way that was closer to what was expected of a young lady of her station. But unfortunately, then a series of tragedies plagued her adolescence, and we're going to talk about those after we have a brief word from one of our fabulous sponsors. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. 
Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In September of 1887, Sophia got typhoid, and while she was sick, her mother lapsed into a coma and died. She was 39. She had basically been sitting vigil and then sort of inexplicably fell ill and died. The queen gave Sophia's father permission to come back to Britain for her mother's funeral, but he chose not to do it. And of course, the children were completely heartbroken at having lost their mother. And afterward, Oliphant and his wife continued to look after all the girls and little Eddie, who, remember, was the youngest. With a more stable home and dedicated tutors, 
all of the children started to learn very quickly. This basically kept them under the very careful eye of Oliphant, who was still giving reports back to the queen on their behavior. And this also uh, enabled their caretakers to try to teach them to be proper British children with proper British attitudes and proper British deference to the queen. Oliphant and the and the queen thought this was especially necessary because both Sophia and Eddie were old enough to remember their father's increasingly outspoken anger at Britain. They also could remember their aborted trip to India, which had been thwarted by the British authorities that wouldn't allow them through the Suez Canal. They were not, however, quite old enough to grasp that talking about it, especially in a way that reflected well on their father and badly on Britain, would probably not go over well with the people in charge of their care. Eventually, it was decided that the children needed a clean break, or they would never grow up in a way that suited their station. Sophia and Eddie were sent to Brighton, and the two older sisters, Catherine and Bamba, were sent to university. With all her older siblings no longer at home, Sophia became sort of the linchpin of the family. She was the one that all of her siblings wrote to and trusted her to pass on news of the others. She also looked after her one younger brother. She learned to play the piano, and she did quite well with it. And she did gradually take on more of the deportment that was expected of her. However, their progress in their studies was short-lived. In 1890, their father, who had developed a very serious drinking problem, had a series of major strokes. He wrote to the queen to ask for forgiveness, and he was given permission to come back to Britain under the condition that he be unfailingly, unquestioningly obedient to the monarch. By this point, he had remarried, and the queen was not willing to extend much hospitality to Dilip's new wife. In her mind, that was the woman responsible for turning Dulip away from his family and away from his Christian faith. In spite of having gotten permission to return to Britain, there was not much of a happy reunion for the Dulip Singh family. Sophia's father had a serious heart attack while still in France, and about the same time, little Eddie got pneumonia that was complicated by other infections. While Dulip was able to come to England to see his son, he didn't stay long because he was afraid his own failing health would distract the doctors from looking after Eddie. Eddie Dulip Singh died at the age of 13 in April of 1893. Dulip Singh died just months later, alone in a hotel room on the night of October 22nd. The staff found him on the floor the next morning. He was only 55 at the time. Against his final wishes, which were to be buried wherever he died, Dulip Singh's children had his body brought back to England. He was buried at Elfden Hall alongside his first wife and his deceased son. The now-orphaned Sophia was understandably distraught. She had just turned 17, and in just a few years, she had lost her mother, her father, and her much-adored little brother. The nanny, who had taken another post during her mother's depression, had also died, literally as the Oliphants were trying to bring her back to look after them again. The Dulip Singh children had also lost their home, their status, and nearly all of their wealth. While her surviving brothers had the means and freedom to support themselves, Bamba, Caroline, and Sophia Dulip Singh were completely dependent upon the queen. And that is where we are going to end the sad royal childhood portion of Sophia Sophia Dulip Singh's life. Uh, We are going to continue in the next episode about how Princess Sophia, who at the point where we're leaving her is considered to be kind of unassuming and plain and quiet, 
wound up becoming very politically defiant. And if you are interested in this story, you can read it with so, so much more detail and so many things we have not gotten into in the book. Sophia, Princess Suffragette Revolutionary by Anita Anand. I highly recommend it. And we're going to be talk about it, talking about it at the end of part two also. Do you have a little bit of listener mail for us? I do. This is from Allison. And Allison says, hello. Firstly, I want to say how much I love your podcast, both due to the lively and wonderful way you discuss history and the wonderful research and ethics you put into it. It is so great to hear people laughing and having fun on the air. I so enjoyed the podcast on the Alcott family. I was super excited to see an episode on moonshine as I'm a big whiskey buff and make my own fruit and herbal infusions at home. In general, I loved the episode, but I wanted to note that you did not mention the limited medicinal production of whiskey during Prohibition. Instead, you commented that no one could distill at that time. While this was generally accurate, I found the history of whiskey fascinating when I myself found out about the contributions that that Prohibition-era medicinal distilleries made to the survival of American whiskey production and American interest in whiskey. I feel that this little side note could have benefited the episode because I see it as similar to current medical marijuana. I don't know if I totally, like, the the connection is there and that both marijuana is illegal in most places, but medically legal in some places. But overall, yeah, we did not get into that at all. That um, I had actually not, until I looked at the link that Allison sent to us, uh, did not realize that there were things that were basically marketed as medicinal whiskey. I did know that there were lots and lots of patent medicines that were basically quack cures that contained lots of alcohol. So mostly what they were doing for you is getting you kind of drunk, not actually treating any medical thing. I well, you would feel were... better. <laughs> you just wouldn't be any better. Right. So I didn't realize that there, uh, there are also like there are pictures in this link that I will put in the show notes of things that were actually bottled and sold as medicinal whiskey, which I didn't totally realize. Um, so yeah, that, but it has that in common with marijuana in that they are both generally illegal, but legal in some limited context. But there's a whole other federal law part about marijuana that takes it to a whole different level. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, thank you, Allison, so much for writing in about that. Uh, if you would like to write to us about this or any other podcast, we're at History Podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash history and on Twitter at history. Our Tumblr is mistinhistory.tumblr.com and we're on Pinterest at pinterest.com slash history. If you would like to learn about all kinds of cool stuff, you can come to our parent company's website, which is howstuffworks.com. If you want to see a whole archive of every episode we have ever done and show notes where I will put, for example, the link to the article that Allison sent over about medicinal whiskey, you can come to our website, which is mistinhistory.com. So, you do all that, a whole lot more at HowStuffWorks.com or MythInHistory.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place 
for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.